Whosoever will be saved, before all things it is necessary that he holds the Catholic faith. Which faith, unless every one do keep, whole and undefiled, without doubt, he shall perish everlastingly. And the Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity, and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the essence. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Ghost. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost is all one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Ghost. The Father uncreated, the Son uncreated, and the Holy Ghost uncreated. The Father unlimited, the Son unlimited, and the Holy Ghost unlimited. The Father eternal, the Son eternal, and the Holy Ghost eternal. And yet they are not three eternals, but one eternal. And also there are not three uncreated, nor three infinites, but one uncreated and one infinite. So likewise, the Father is almighty, the Son almighty, and the Holy Ghost almighty. And yet they are not three almighties, but one almighty. So the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Ghost is God. And yet they are not three gods, but one God. So likewise, the Father is Lord, the Son, Lord, and the Holy Ghost, Lord. And yet not three lords, but one Lord. For like as we are compelled by the Christian verity to acknowledge every person by himself to, go to be God and Lord, so are we forbidden by the Catholic religion to say there are three gods or three lords. The Father is made of none, neither created nor begotten. The Son is the, of the Father alone, not made, nor created, but begotten. The Holy Ghost is of the Father and of the Son, neither made, nor created, nor begotten, but proceeding. So there is one Father, not three fathers, one Son, not three sons, one Holy Ghost, not three Holy Ghosts. And in this Trinity, none is before or after another, none is greater or less than another but the whole three persons are co-eternal and co-equal, so that in all things, as aforesaid, the unity in Trinity and the Trinity in unity is to be worshipped. He, therefore, that will be saved, let him thus think of the Trinity. Furthermore, it is necessary to everlasting salvation that he also believe faithfully the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. For the right faith is, that we bless and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is God and man, God of the substance or essence of the Father, begotten before the worlds, and man, and of the substance, essence of his mother, born in the world. Perfect God and perfect man, of a reasonable soul and human flesh subsisting, equal to the Father as touching his Godhead, and inferior to the Father as touching his manhood who although he is God and man, yet he is not two, but one Christ. One not by conversion of the Godhead into flesh, but by assumption of the manhood into God. One altogether, not by confusion of substance, essence, but by unity of person. For as the reasonable soul and flesh is one man, so God and man is one Christ, who suffered for our salvation, descended into hell, rose again the third day from the dead. He ascended into heaven, he sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence he will come to judge the living and the dead. 
at whose coming all men will rise again with their bodies, and shall give account for their own works. And they that have done good shall go into life everlasting, and they that have done evil into everlasting fire. This is the Catholic faith, which except a man believe truly and firmly, he cannot be saved. Well, <laughs> that was quite lengthy. <laughs> that, that was quite lengthy, but welcome to the Triclinium, a podcast named after the three-sided table used in the Lord's Supper, where you are invited to join the three of us as we think through matters of Christian faith, practice, and community. My name is Eric Burgers. As always, I'm here with my co-hosts, Jacob Hawley and Nate Lead. Today, we are going to be discussing the Athanasian Creed, or as it is labeled in our notes, the Pseudo-Athanasian Creed. Jacob, Nate, after such a lengthy introduction, how are you guys? Oh, I'm doing good. This is going to be a fun episode, I think. This will be a good one. We'll get into all the nitty-gritty Trinitarian details. Nate, how about you? Yeah, I'm looking forward to this as well. Uh, yeah, Eric, take a sip of water. Uh, <laughs> let your voice relax for a second. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to get into the history of this creed, get, uh, like to just talk about how this creed impacts our understanding of the Trinity and also uh, the divinity of Christ. So, yeah, I'm excited for this. This is going to be a good one. We're continuing our series on creeds, uh, their importance and this their significance throughout the history of the church. So. Uh, we hope that you'll join us for this conversation uh, and that you walk away with a little bit of a deeper understanding uh, of this great creed. Yeah. Good stuff. Hey, so let's let's begin then. Um, I don't know. I thought it would be good to start off with some kind of some history of where these creeds, where this creed came from and then where where like the other creeds kind of came from. We talked a little bit about the Apostles' Creed, and I think I think part of the hope of this episode is, you know, if you if you count the Apostles' Creed as maybe the most basic and the most un, unspecific, unformulated creed that we have, um, the Pseudo-Athanasian Creed is, like, the most articulate of the creeds that we have. It's the most uh, defined. Um, and so it kind of wraps in the findings of several of the other creeds into all all into just one big creed um and so to get there though i think we kind of need to walk through like what where the other creeds like what are the other creeds that it's it's wrapping into one big burrito um like who were the uh who were the main guys what were they talking about where did all this come from so um i kind of wanted to jump in with all that does that sound good to start with yep that sounds good to me yeah. um Let's do it. Yeah, it's important to do it. I th I think all of these other creeds, you, you kind of said this, but just to be clear, kind of build up to this creed. And as Jacob was saying before we were started the podcast and we're chatting, uh, all of the creeds get wrapped up into one creed burrito with that and Asian creed by the time yeah. we get to it. So there's a process of, um, oh, what would you say, discernment uh, amongst the churches as they're thinking through these issues in the early days uh, of the church. And so the Athanasian Creed clears up kind of a whole culmination of uh, thought and theology that has gone throughout the years. So go ahead, Jacob. Yeah, that's really good. Um, yeah, it's like the, the slow refinement um, over the centuries. So 
Um, I'm actually not sure. Would one of you guys look up when the Athanasian Creed was? Yeah, I formalized? I actually read I I read something just before we started this. It didn't give a specific Perfect. date, um, so perhaps I could look up and find a rough date. But uh, what I read was it was believed to be written in the Middle Ages. Uh, it's claimed to have been written by Athanasius. However, the earliest copies of the creed come about a century after he was believed to have passed away. So the original authors of the creed are technically unknown since it doesn't appear to have been Athanasius himself from a, an evidential standpoint. Sure. Um, however, because of the nature of the creed, because it's been historically known and passed down as the Athanasian creed, it's maintained his name his name within it so that we still know it today is the Athanasian Creed. Yeah. So that actually, that kicks us off perfectly into our beginning, like the first council. So basically, kind of a long story short, um, within the first couple hundred years of the church's existence, heresies were running rampant, and heresy meaning beliefs that the church would not have held um, as as a whole, but that certain individuals were propagating um, as kind of like some people just say would, would just say false doctrine, right? Or but like a, maybe a more a more nuanced way of saying it is like just doctrine that is not what the whole of the church would have held. Um, and so there was there was a lot of debate in the early uh, you know three centuries of the churches. Uh, existence over a couple of kind of main questions. Um, one of them was just what is the canon of scripture? And so maybe we could talk about that someday. Um, like uh, canon meaning the measure, um, the measuring stick or the or the standard. So what are the set of books that we will call scripture? Mm -hmm. Those being the standard by which we, we measure our faith um, and which ones are not. Um, Another question that was floating around, and kind of a major one, uh, is, so, like, who is this Jesus guy? Was he divine? Was he human? Was he both? Was he neither? Was he a mix of them? Uh, so, there was a lot of debate going on, um, and Emperor Constantine catches wind of this, and I believe this is at the point where Emperor Constantine is either professing Christian faith, or he's at least getting interested in Christian faith. Mm -hmm. And he hears all these arguments going on uh, in the cities and in the churches over whether or not Jesus Christ is God or man or whatever, and he calls a council of all the bishops, gathers them all together, and this is the first real, what we would call an ecumenical council, meaning a, 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 a council where the whole house is represented, where the whole of the church is present. Um, and so all these bishops get together and they start deliberating on whether they think Jesus is actually God or not. So two of the key figures at this one were Arius and Athanasius. So that's where we get the Athanasian Creed. Um, Arius uh, believed that Jesus Christ was created, meaning that whatever Jesus was, he wasn't God in the same sense that we would say the Father is God or that the God of Israel is God, that Jesus was something different than, than that. Um, whereas Athanasius would say Jesus was uncreated, that Jesus was the word, the word eternal, that Jesus um, 
that Jesus was the incarnation of God. Um, and so that was the first debate, that was the first argument, and out of the first council, which is the Council of Nicaea, which is about 325, um, we get the Nicene Creed, and we, in Arius, uh, it gets rejected. His, his, uh, you'll hear people talk about Arianism as a heresy. That's, that's his heresy. It gets rejected. Um, after that, you have a couple of councils that are, I would say, less, uh, less, let's say, less talked about nowadays. Um, the second council uh, addresses the question of whether the Holy Spirit is truly God. Um, and so it kind of clarifies Nicaea. So after the Council of Constantinople, that's what this one is, uh, you get the Niceno-Constantinopolitan Creed, which is quite the mouthful to say. Um, but basically it's just like a, a, it's a small nuance on the Nicene Creed. Um, and it comes out basically saying, yes, the Holy Spirit is also God. So now we have Jesus Christ is God. We have the Holy Spirit is God. And most people would have said the Father is God because that's not hard to see from the scriptures. Um, and so that's kind of the outflowing of the Council of Constantinople in 381. Um, and then we get the Council of Ephesus. That's the third one. And this addresses one that a lot of Protestants, uh, I would say, would probably be a little bit shocked by. Um... The main figure at this one is the of is uh, Cyril of Alexandria. Um, the one, the main figures in the one right beforehand were the Cappadocian fathers. We talked a little bit about them in, uh, I think, our first episode on the Apostles' Creed. Um, so, like Basil the Great would fall into that. Um, Gregory of Nazianzus, Gregory of Nyssa. Um, so, in the third council, in the Council of Ephesus in 431, you have Cyril, and basically he's arguing uh, against. I believe against Nestorius, yes, uh, Nestorius, uh, who is the kind of the bad guy of the council, you could say, um, that Jesus is both divine and human, and the context in which he's arguing that fact um, is the question of whether or not you can call Mary, his mother, uh, the Theotokos, or in other words, the God-bearer, um, the one who bears God. So in other words, when when Jesus, uh, when Mary was giving birth, was she giving birth to a man only, or was she also giving birth, in some sense, to God? And of course, the question, like that, it's questionable phrasing, right? Because God properly doesn't have a beginning. Um, but according to this creed, or not to the creed, but to this council, he does have a birth. God, God was birthed uh, in Mary, so. Uh, that is, that's something that I think a lot of Protestants would almost, like, shiver at to think, you know, of someone saying. Um, but that is within the early creeds, or not the early creeds, the early councils. Um, so that's the third council. Um, we can talk maybe more about that later. Uh, and then there's a, a fourth council called the Council of Chalcedon, and this is in 451. Um... The notable guy for this one is Pope Leo I. Um, and basically this one is all about putting down on paper how can we talk about Jesus being both divine and human? How can he be both? And if he is both, in what sense is he both? Um, and so it's talking about like the difference between person and nature. Um, it's And, and the result... Uh, the result is the Chalcedonian Creed, which basically affirms that Jesus 
um, has two natures that are undivided. Um, they, they are inseparable, uh, but they are distinct from each other. Um, so there's those two things to be held in common, that they're unified, right? They, it's not like he's got these two disparate um, natures. Um, he's got two natures, but they are, they're, they're, they're one with each other. But they also aren't like just a mix. It's not like you're pouring, pouring two drinks together and you get like a third, you know, a mixture of the two. Um, so, uh, and that, that is the two natures being divine and human. Um, so that's, the, that's kind of Chalcedon. The two major ones that everybody's going to know are the first council and the fourth. Um, so most people talk about the first one and the fourth. Second and third go unnoticed. Um, fifth, sixth, and seventh kind of go unnoticed. Um, but the first and the fourth get talked about the most because I think they make the most headway, the most crucial developments in who we believe God is and who we believe Jesus is in particular. Um, and so the Pseudo-Athanasian Creed takes the Nicene Creed and the Chalcedonian Creed, the creeds from the first and the fourth councils, and kind of like develops them a little bit further, gives more words to them, um, gives more clarification, um, but in the sense kind of just runs them together. So here, the first part, like you heard, was it's all about the Trinity, um, how we ought to think about the Trinity, how we ought to profess the Trinity. The second part is all about Christ, what we believe about Christ, how we ought to profess Christ, um, what we ought to believe about his natures. Was he divine? Was he human? All that kind of stuff. So I have talked a whole heck of a lot now, and I don't want to talk anymore. So Eric, please talk. Yeah, thank you for the the summary there, Jacob. I think that's helpful in thinking about it's important to be able to put things into their historical context so we can understand where the church is at when they're discussing certain things. Um, part of my critique of liberal th theology as it's been known throughout history today is there's a huge problem, especially as you see in like cults and things like that, say Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons. They just want to pluck certain things out of scripture, out of history, to be able to point to their broader system that, that they believe in. And you, you can definitely do that with different quotes from creeds and things like that as well. Um, so I, I appreciate mm -hmm. you uh, putting that kind of in this context as we build up to it. Um, I don't know. Do we want to just dive right into the creed or um, some questions about the creed? I'm, I'm open to going either way at this point, unless, Nate, you have some, some comments you want to make first. Yeah, so I just want to say thanks to Jacob for giving us kind of that broad overview. Uh, so like he said, most of the uh, creeds and councils happened within the first few centuries. So uh, when we talk about the kind of second century up through the fourth and fifth century, that's the year... 100 up through the year uh, 4 to 500 and so in that realm uh, that's the time period that we find ourselves so the Nicene Creed is one of the first ones and that's in 325 so kind of in the middle to early mm -hmm. of this uh, Creed Council stage and that's going to be the setting uh, for which we find this argument between Arianism and Athanasianism uh, but really, the reason why this council and creed are so important is because they deal with uh, with the Trinity, which has to do with who we believe God is, who we believe Jesus is, and who we believe the Spirit is, and how they relate to each other. 
So from that flows our faith and flows kind of the foundation for our Christian life. And so that's why this council and creed get talked about a lot uh, because it talks about who God is and, and who Jesus is and who the Spirit is. Uh, and and uh, mm-hmm. from that flows uh, the other aspects of Christianity. And so that's it's kind of the foundation from which we, we build up. And then it I also think... talks about the, uh, the divinity and the person of Christ in that too. So, yeah, Eric, do you have something? I, I, yeah, I think an important yeah. note really quick, and this is just a general note on how we as Christians ought to approach history in general, is to recognize the fact that it is not these councils that made it a reality that Jesus is God. Like, it did not make it, it did not like make it a reality that the Holy Spirit is God. Um, the idea of the creeds and the way they deal with scripture um, as it's played out in history is that we are recognizing what is reality itself, what is evident itself um and specifically as they argue it from the scriptures as well so um because you hear things like you know ah you know the council of nicaea constantine just made jesus god and now everybody now christians today believe jesus is god which is a repulsive (laughs) remark that i i despise (laughs) when people say that it's it's disgusting because the the councils themselves are not made so that we can just say what we've come how should i phrase it not not just what we've come to believe but we're not declaring that this is now reality we're declaring that this this right. has been reality and we're arguing from uh what we believe is an infallible source uh that we can stand on to say yes this has been god's revelation to us and we are affirming that revelation as we come together and debate these things in the council so just just to make that quick note that no these councils are not dictating realities uh it's it's rather recognizing uh realities that we've we've so uh seen within the scriptures yeah jacob so so to kind of jump then off of what Nate was saying earlier about um, how the the Trinitarian understanding and what we believe about Christ um, are the place, you could say they're the fountain from which all of our theology and worship flow from, right? Like they're the very foundation. I think an important question is, is raised, and it's in our notes, so I might as well ask it now. Um... There's a part at the beginning of that creed where it basically says if you don't hold to this creed, if you don't confess this creed, if you don't confess the Catholic faith, um, Catholic, of course, again, meaning worldwide or universal, not Roman Catholic, but um, if you don't hold to this creed, uh, you can't be saved. Mm-hmm. So I think it's an important question to ask if if this indeed, if these things are indeed the place... Uh, if these things are indeed the place from where all of our worship and our doctrine comes from, you know, flows out from, if this is the starting brick, if this is the cornerstone, you might say, then if you take out the cornerstone, does the building crumble? Do you lose your salvation? Um, is salvation dependent upon um, the, you know, these councils, these creeds? 
Yeah, that's um, that's a great question. Um, an important question because, as you mentioned, the creed mentions it itself. Um, I th- I think yeah. that plays well into what I was just talking about there for a second, though, and it's important to recognize the the purpose of the creed. I don't think the way that question is phrased is fair to what was going on in history as they're playing out the creeds. What we're not saying mm-hmm. is that this creed, well, I mean, some traditions would, but we're not saying as Protestants, and I'm going to just speak to our Protestant conviction, that this is infallible and you must hold to every aspect of this creed or else you're damned. I think the point of the creed is mm-hmm. to recognize general truths that Christians hold and have held since the apostles and is manifestly evident in the scriptures. And you'll see it as you work through various creeds and confessions, all of them work through, uh, most all of them are trying to pull their theology by arguing from the scriptures, which is what we as Protestants would recognize as the infallible source. So when the creed says something like, you must hold to this salvation or else you could be suffering eternal punishment, it's, it's not saying that it in and of, it, of itself, from our point of view, is an infallible source. It's saying that it's pointing to the, the truths that are manifestly evident in our actual infallible source that is scripture. Um, and denying these truths is in in step denying the scriptural truths themselves um all of these things as i read through it um the main points of the creed um are critical to affirm as they come directly out of the scriptures there's small things within the creed itself that i don't agree with and one of them as we had talked about with the apostles creed is christ descending into hell um you know, and I don't think because I disagree with that that the purpose of the creed therefore is saying that I am damned because I don't think Christ descended into hell. I think the whole point of the creed is to affirm the unity, the beauty, and the reality of the Trinity as it's taught in the scripture. Um, so I've talked for a little bit. Um, did I veer off in any way? Um, any disagreements there? Well, I, I I think that what it means it does, or I'm sorry, what it says it does yeah. mean, like at the beginning and the in the end where it talks about the like the the perils of not believing this Catholic faith, um, like I genuinely like I I pr- I think that probably the author of this would if you came in were like well I don't believe in the descent hell or you 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 pushed back if you said like oh I you know I I would change this line. I think they would actually probably be like, well, your your salvation is in question mm, then. Perhaps. Um, but I also think that that's just kind of the way that most pre-moderns thought about salvation. Like, I think, like, you can see a lot of, um, you could say, sacramentality about the way that they conceived of salvation. The church was the vessel for salvation. And so if you disagreed with one of the church's teachings... Um, you could be disciplined fairly heavily. And again, the church was the one that held eternal life in its hand, right? They, they believed uh, very heavily in the binding 
uh, and the loosing that the church had the power over. Now, we as Protestants don't believe that, right? So I think we can we can basically say we affirm this creed in what it says about the Trinity in Christ and not about what it says about the like you know the 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 our salvation being at stake if we don't hold to the entirety, yeah. right? Um, we can use it pastorally and and constructively without um, without holding it dogmatically, mm-hmm. right? Um, but I do think that probably the original authors would have said you're a heretic. Yeah, perhaps. Heretic. Perhaps I was forcing my lens on the creed a, a little bit. Um, but I don't know. I think I think when you look back at individual figures and, and many of whom had key who are key players in various creeds are can be more charitable than uh we may give them credit for because uh we read how vigor vigorously defensive they are over orthodoxy uh as history goes on Hmm. um i think there are examples of good dialogue and good faith conversation uh about different things but like another thing to recognize is like this creed is arguing for something central to the entire premise of the christian faith and so yeah i at the time perhaps if i would have walked in and said i don't believe in that christ descended to hell but i agree with everything else in the creed perhaps there is some people that would immediately start to question me but given the context of the creed and the argument it would it would be they would probably question if i actually believe everything else that's in the creed as i say i do you know um so Mm -hmm. there's such tension that there is like questionableness as it as it goes on and people are debating these topics but i don't know i would go full bore to say that you know therefore nobody was charitable at the time Mm. Yeah, no, and I, I think um, that's a, that's a, a, a fair pushback, and um, I don't know. I guess at the end of the day, I I probably have to rest more on their words than on their intentions because I just haven't read enough of of the the people that would have developed these things to to know. Um, but I mean, I'll, I'll end by saying this them's fighting words yeah. right like the 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 first and last stanzas are are very um exclusivistic you mm-hmm. could say in 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 the uh in their scope yeah. take like uh they're they're not they're not light <laughs> take like uh yeah and i don't want to downplay that at all um i i don't uh i recognize the harshness um of the language um but take like but I, it's so funny I talk him, about him so much on here, but Basil of Caesarea in uh, mm-hmm. in that work on the Holy Spirit, which I've mentioned like a billion times. But anyways, um, a part of as he's arguing against these things, he has a very, very close friend, and I'm forgetting his name at the moment, um, who agreed with him on the deity of the Holy Spirit um, closely, a very close friend. Um, and then sort of like his friend i believe goes away and starts um communing with a different church um and and other believers who end up persuading his friend that actually the holy spirit is just some sort of weird in between 
uh, like God and just a, a spiritual being, I guess you mm. could say. And so this puts Basel in mm. a real pickle, right? And now he's stuck mm. between arduently defending the the Catholic or the Christian faith, you know, and also yeah. being charitable yeah. and trying to uh, persuade and convince his friend. So I, I would just lift that up as, as one example of, uh, you know, Christian charitableness, but also arduently defending the truth of, of the Christian yeah. faith. Um, so that it was there, I think. Um, it did exist. But you, you also have to appreciate that there were people who were vigorously going against uh, the Christian faith. And this is something that's at mm-hmm. its core, which I think kind of gives the context as to why the language is so harsh is because we're rejecting something Mm. that is central to the gospel to the christian under to the christian worldview in total um and and so yeah i don't know perhaps they would question if i'm saved if i said something like that but i could i could also see how perhaps they wouldn't and it would just have to be it's no different from today we would have to talk with each other and these things can be complicated Mm -hmm. uh because people are sinners Mm -hmm. and complicated so yeah so maybe we could say uh we could say whether or not there's a bite we know there's a bark Mm -hmm. you know like to the degree to which they're willing to follow through on those threats we're not really sure but the threat is there and that says something yeah, right the, the threats and the something. bite could even be imminent you know but it's it's a matter of discussing yeah. these things and so yeah i i hold to to what i said yeah i think eric you're you're You've spot heard on and something you said uh just illustrates that point in that uh the athanasian creed was written in opposition to arianism so it it is itself in a defensive position like it is it is also it is trying to defend the trinitarian orthodoxy the do- the doctrine of the trinity and it is also trying to uh push back enough to say if you if you don't hold to this like you are wrong you know and you are you are in danger so and, and maybe that language is chosen for a specific reason that uh you know that that threat is there of like hey watch out you know the, if you don't hold to this like you're you're in danger because it is written in opposition of something so it's already coming off as more aggressive than somebody who's just writing a, a thesis on their specific theology if, if that makes sense like that yeah maybe that's a working theory but that that makes sense in my mind no that's that's great that's perfect this this creed was not yeah, written good. in a in a spirit of I'm going to lay out my systematic theology and let people kind of read it and and see how it goes. No, we're arguing against not just an idea. We're arguing against people. Like there are people out there who are Mm -hmm. saying these things uh, and who are convincing hordes of other people who are starting to believe these things. We must protect Christian Mm -hmm. orthodoxy as it has always been known since the apostles um, and the teach and Christ himself. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. And so this actually, go, go ahead, Jacob. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just, okay. I, 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 I'll, 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 this... I'll go. <laughs> I'll, 
Uh, I, I was they just, just gonna did say, the Christian thing, the Christian polite. I know, thing. I know. <laughs> so, it, go ahead, Eric. Going back to Eric, you know the the reason why it's so important to defend this is because there are people that are spouting uh, what, what they would say is truth, but they're trying to what, what they're spouting is leading people away and is changing what they believe, and so when we know that our salvation comes from our belief, our salvation comes from our faith and what we believe in, it's, it is paramount to make sure that we believe the right things. And so when somebody is coming along and is convincing people to believe something that is not true or is not founded in scripture, then we have to, uh, defend against that attack, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that, um, Arianism is, um, is violent or is like trying to be misleading just for the sake of misleading. You know, I think that these are people seeking the truth, but ultimately that truth was not rooted and ultimately was, was wrong. And so we, we have to defend against that. And that's why we are talking about creeds because that's where our foundation has, that's where our faith has been worked through and has been founded and in which we can find our, our, uh, a, uh, refined version of our beliefs that we find in scripture ultimately so that that's why the the uh, that's why i think the athanasian creed comes across as uh, you know what we can label as harsh or as very strong worded or even as kind of threatening in that sense uh because it's defending defending belief and defending faith Mm -hmm. yeah Mm. even um you know, even I, I think even us today, like I'll, I'll just speak for myself for a moment. If you're, if you are, the question that we kind of posed in the beginning was one of our first questions, which is, are creeds necessary for salvation? And my answer to that is, well, yes and no, right? Yes, in the sense that if you come to me with the Athanasian Creed and you say, yeah, I reject the Athanasian Creed. In a sense, to me, what you're saying is Jesus is not God. The Holy Spirit is not God. I disagree with these things. And these things are being argued on the basis of Scripture. So, like, logically, as it flows down, you're not just rejecting a creed. You're rejecting scriptural truths themselves because that's what the creed seeks to do and and seeks to uphold. So, um these things are central and i myself if you came up to me as it as it is kind of espoused and as jacob said in the first and the last stanza of the creed if you reject these things i'm probably going to seriously question your salvation uh, just being flat honest and blunt uh because i think these things not because i'm rude or i want to be mean and and stuck in my beliefs but because this is truly what i believe and what i believe Christian orthodoxy has believed for thousands of years that this is central to the Christian faith. And so if we're rejecting these things, um, I I would take the position that, yeah, we, we need to start calling into question salvation because there has to be boundary markers somewhere. I, I, I don't think we can just leave ethereal boundaries. Um, we want to be charitable, as I mentioned. But we, as the creed states itself, we also want to defend the faith uh, with no fear as well. Right, that, and there's an objective marker as yes. well that, uh, so it's, salvation is not to each his own. 
you know, like you, your means of salvation is not different than my means. You know, the, there is an objective marker in that we can look to Christ on the cross as our salvation and then belief that Christ is Lord, that his salvation was enough and that there's nothing that we can do beyond that. That's kind of the objective marker of if we, if we believe and accept that, then our salvation is guaranteed ultimately right not not like well yeah i believe that but i also have to go and start an orphanage or whatever you know it's like mm-hmm. the the works come from that belief and so i uh, i think that what we're saying too is the the w- what you said it, is the creed necessary for salvation yes and no uh yes because it helps distill the truths from scripture the creed itself is not our salvation by any mm-hmm. means Yes. Uh, thanks. And so yeah. that that's that's the no. It's not necessary for salvation because the creed is not is not our faith. Uh, the creed is merely a, a distillation uh, mm-hmm. of our faith and the truth that we see in Scripture. I think I think it's helping to clarify uh, issues of the Trinity. And I think the reason that it's important is because we have to understand who Jesus is in order to understand also our, our salvation. I think the creed helps mm-hmm. to clarify that Jesus is God and that his uh, sacrifice was enough because he was unlike any of us. The only, the only one who could save us is God. You know, he's the only one that can right our wrongs in that, in that manner. And so it, it is necessary because it helps us to understand more about who Christ is. It's kind of a litmus test that we can help, that we can walk through with somebody and say, well, let's go through this, these points, you know, and, and if somebody rejects that and they reject ultimately, because if they reject the creed, the logic is that they ultimately reject the person of Christ or uh, the foundation for which the creed is built on, which is scripture. Mm-hmm. And so if somebody fully rejected the creed or even fully rejected the parts that talk about the person of Christ and the divinity of Christ, then I think that it, it calls into question more so of, okay, who do you believe Jesus is and what do you believe about salvation as well? You know, do you believe that salvation comes from Christ's sacrifice on the cross or do you believe something else about salvation? I don't know. Does that make sense or, or am I yes, off on it does. that? I think it leads into the question that I was going to ask that <laughs> Jacob didn't want to ask at first. But it's the crucial question, like just to take as a case example, is the divinity of Christ necessary and is it necessary for salvation? And Yeah, let, this is let's clarify what, what that means, though. Right. So, so divinity of Christ. So, so yeah, dive must, into that. Must I, to put it in as simple terms as I possibly can, must I believe Jesus is God to be saved? And okay, I think I think that is part of, I think that's part of the heart of the creed, uh, if I'm perceiving it correctly. Um, you guys can say your thoughts. Um, or I can say mine. Uh, what What are your initial so to kind of get so yeah to to put it on uh, to to give it a binary I guess yes uh, it, is the divinity of Christ necessary for salvation? On one hand, we have Christ is Lord. His um, his person is divine, uh, or he as a person is divine. He is a part of God, and his sacrifice is from God, and that's what uh, what. Uh, ultimately saves us. And then on the other hand, we have Christ was not God. Christ was more human and he lived a perfect life and he was solely human. And that's what 
because of his perfect life. That's what grants us our salvation. Is that right, Eric, or or am I kind of off? Yeah, I I think that could be a, f- a fair framing of it. Um, granted, some people would give different nuances, but yeah, I think that's right, the sure. heart of it, r- right there. And um, yeah, th- this to, is interesting to, too because the Athanasian Creed also dives into the the person of Christ. So this is a good question. So that's yeah, that, that's, that's why kind I bring the, it up in the in the first place. Yeah, is because the yeah. Creed says you must hold these things for salvation. And then goes into the divinity of Christ right after that. So I think it logically follows that those who wrote the creed would say, if you don't believe in the divinity of Christ, you've departed from the Catholic faith and you are in danger of eternal punishment. I, I think that logically follows from what the creed says itself. Um, so I'll, I guess I can give my own answer. I, I think I'm in, I would be in step with the creed, and I would say if you, um, and and this goes for for the Father and the Holy Spirit as well, if we are rejecting the divinity of any person of the Trinity, um, I would seriously question, uh, arduously question your salvation. If I'm just being bluntly honest, um, and the reason for that being, I don't want to just say that just as like a shock value type point, but in Romans 1, Paul makes it very clear, very simple statement in verse 16. The gospel is the power unto, is God's power unto salvation. And what's interesting about Romans 1 as well, um, yeah, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. And what's interesting about that is verse 1 says, uh, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And then if you scroll down to uh, verse 9, he also says, For God is my wit- witness, whom I serve with my spirit, in the gospel of his Son as well. So the gospel of God, the gospel of his Son, seems to be being conflated there, which I would I would argue as a mark of the divinity of Christ. And if the gospel is the power into salvation, then we would have to rightly believe who the Son is in the first place, um, if he is the catalyst unto our salvation, I guess you say. So uh, to put it in simpler terms, I guess, and we can flesh this out as we go along as well, um, to believe in Christ, to repent of sins and trust in Christ we got to have the right Christ. Um, otherwise it, it gets murky from there. So, um, and, and the right Christ in your mind is, is a divine Christ. Is one a that divine, shares, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's a divine Christ. So, so, um, again, being blunt as well, our, our Mormon and Jehovah witnesses, friends who both outwardly deny the divinity of Christ. Um, Mormonism is a little more complicated, but I, I think it's pretty clear they divide, uh, deny the eternal divinity of Christ. Um, I would not consider those groups Christian groups, and those who claim to be saved who are within those groups, despite all of their other theological issues, th- that alone, denying the divinity of Christ, is a serious problem for me. Uh, in viewing somebody who claims to trust the gospel and trust in Christ, and they are outwardly saying, I'm saved because I trust in Jesus. Because the next question logically yeah. is, 
well, who is Jesus? And right. how yeah. is it that how is it that he brings salvation? How is that even possible that he does that? And like you said, Nate, is it through his power as God or is it he merely just a human who did did something perfectly and therefore right. now we're saved? Right. I so. guess the yeah, the the idea would be that Jesus was just a man who God imbued, uh, like who, whose sacrifice God imbued with uh, uh, significance. But, you know, that that's neither here nor there. That's kind of me fleshing out that point. But just to, just to give some more meat around the creed, because that's kind of what we're talking about, I'd love sure. to just read the section that talks about uh, yes, Christ's kind of two natures here and, and his divinity. So I'll go ahead and read that. It says, uh, it says, now this is the true faith that we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, is both God and human equally. He is God from the essence of the Father, begotten before time, and he is human from the essence of his mother, born in time, completely God, completely human, with a rational soul and human flesh, equal to the Father as regards divinity, less than the Father as regards humanity. Although he is God and human, yet Christ is not two, but one. He is one, however, not by his divinity being turned into flesh, but by God's taking humanity to himself. He is one, certainly not by the blending of his essence, but by the unity of his person. For just as one human is both rational soul and flesh, so too the one Christ is both God and human. And then it continues to talk about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. But uh, it's interesting because we kind of pose this question of uh, Jesus' divinity is is he God or is he human? And the creed seems to take a, a middle approach and say yes to both. So I'm, I'm curious to get your guys' reaction to that. Eric, it sounds like you are fully in the camp of Jesus is divine. Um, and so I'm, I'm wondering, does the creed kind of speak against only that thought that, that Christ is only divine? Because it certainly, certainly says that Jesus is human as well. I don't, I don't think that there's any ultimately denying that he's human. From the creed, so I'm interested to get kind of your guys's reaction to that. Um, just a clarifying question: Nate, you think the creed is clear on Christ's humanity, but maybe not his divinity? No, no, no. Sorry, I I uh, huh? was more so. Sorry, maybe I jumbled my words there, but I was I was. Uh, I pr- I probably just misunderstood. I was also no, it's okay. I was just trying to clarify. So, Eric, it sounds like you're fully in the camp that Jesus was fully divine. Uh, maybe yes. that we, maybe you would say more divine than human. I guess. I, no, I, I would say, say I would say the best way I've heard it put. Um, I, I like R.C. Sproul's way of putting it. I would say that Jesus is truly God, truly man. Um, I don't like okay. sometimes how and I and again I'm in step with Sproul where he says Jesus is 100% God, 100% man, because I don't like assigning percentages to, to Jesus' humanity and divinity. I think sure. um, he was just as God as he was man. There's no, uh, he wasn't 50% God, uh, 50% man. He wasn't 60% man, 40% God. He was God, truly. He was ma- a human being truly he was both at the same time yeah um well i think that's what the creed ultimately says too i mean just the first Mm -hmm. line uh our lord jesus christ god's son is both god and human equally yeah and i i I, I, 
Go ahead. Can, yeah, just let me clarify myself. I, I hope sure. I perhaps I wasn't saying earlier I wasn't so clear. I wasn't saying that Jesus is more God than man. I was making the argument sure. that um, it is essential to believe that he is God as a part of the gospel and the power to salvation. Um, so okay. not to say gotcha. not Thank to say that, that. Yeah, not to say that Jesus's humanity isn't important or lesser. Um, it's just yeah. So, so Jacob, I'm, I'm cap, curious because I, I see you doing a lot. Yeah, go, go ahead, Eric, and do a quick to, tap, and then Jacob, I, I see cap, you doing a lot yeah. of thinking. So uh, we'll go to you next. <laughs> uh, to put a quick cap on it, I do think the divinity of Christ is a necessary belief um, in order to understand salvation. Now, you could get into the nitty-gritties and say, well, okay, what about somebody who just came into the faith who doesn't really understand that? Or, um, you know, there's this tribe in the middle of Africa um, who barely has any scripture at all, and they're just doing the best they can with what they have, but they believe in Jesus Christ, and they might be mistaken about um, his divinity. We can get into that, sure. but as a baseline... And that's talking are, more about the degree to which, yeah. Mm-hmm. We are living in the American West right now. There is hardly an excuse to be able to dive deeper and and understand these things. Um, As Christians, um, I believe the Holy Spirit himself drives that desire to worship and to know God more and more. So there there could be some room for error um, for somebody who's new to the faith and and just doesn't understand certain things um but i don't want to be soft in saying that this is a fundamental pillar um of the gospel and of the christian faith okay i've talked a lot jacob what are your thoughts you've been sitting there for a while jacob would love to hear from you uh kind of react reaction of of uh, the creed and also of eric's uh statements What, what are your initial thoughts at least yeah, um, I think God is more concerned with our obedience and our relational trust than he is with our metaphysics. Um, and so I would say that's like one piece to the puzzle. Um, and metaphysics, just to I'm parse that sure out. I'm not sure that I would say. Uh, it, it, oh, yeah, you, thank you. Yeah, um, go ahead. Metaphysics meaning the categorization of, like, supernature versus nature. So, like, what we think of as God, what we think of as man, what we think of as creature or creator, or um, the like, kind of the way that the, the cosmos is structured um, and who structured it and all that kind of stuff. Or what, you know, what category God falls into as a, as a being. Um, some people spend a lot of time around that stuff. I'm, I just, I don't know. I don't think that that's, like, reading the scriptures, I I don't get the sense that that's the most important thing. I think the most important thing is the relational title of Lord. Um, Lord meaning master, Lord meaning, um, well, exactly that word, Lord, right? Like a, like a landlord is someone who lords over the land, right, you could say. Um, I think God is you know, this is just, and, and, and this says nothing about salvation, but I would say God would be more pleased with someone who is an obedient servant who misunderstands metaphysics 
than somebody who is disobedient but understands metaphysics better. Is it better in the end to have clear metaphysics and to be obedient than to be obedient and not have clear metaphysics? I would say probably, but like not by a, a, a huge amount. So I would say um, I would lean heavily on the relationship between Jesus and the individual, which is why I actually do think that there will probably be many um, in what we would call the cults or the heretical camps who will be saved because it's not their relationship to the creeds that saves them. It's their relationship to Christ Jesus that saves them. Um, so I guess you could say, like, I, in general, I try to keep away from saying who will be saved and who won't. And my students could attest to this. They ask me all the time, okay, so like, are the Mormons saved? Or, you know, could a Muslim be saved? And I'm like, yes, they can all be saved. I don't know who will be saved. God saves people. I don't save people. I don't know. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't try to make me measures of, of salvation because I don't, I actually think that that encroaches upon God's territory of judging. But, um, I would say it strikes me as more important to be, um, a vessel of Christ's spirit than to understand what it means to be a vessel of Christ's spirit in all the technical jargon. Um, so yeah, now that being said, if you're denying the divinity of Christ, and not just like misunderstanding it, but like straight up denying it, right? I have to believe that you're probably not a very faithful student of the scriptures, because I really do believe that the scriptures point there. And I think that you have a, a lot of explaining to do if you don't uh, adhere to those things. So to kind of affirm the creed there, I think it's like, like I really like what Nate said about it being like a litmus test. Like if, if, if these, there's certain parts of the creed that you're not accepting, then you're going to have some explaining to do. Like we're going to have to do some deeper analysis into whether or not you're actually reading the scriptures. Um, or if you or like what you even believe about the scriptures, right? Um, but I do think that it's possible to be saved apart from what the creeds say, um, because and, and even the divinity of Christ, because I think that uh, salvation is within God's hands, not ours. And if we make it into a into a thing where like you have to believe all the right things, then that basically becomes a form of Pelagianism, I think. Um, a works-based righteousness. It's right. like a sort of legalism. You know, I believed all the right stuff. Yeah, I did all the right stuff, and these people didn't do the right stuff, so they're not sure. saved. And I did right. Uh, and uh, as far as belief is an act, which I do believe because I'm a Calvinist. Would, would that be? <laughs> I'm. Can I push back a little bit, real quick? Actually, sorry. I, push back on me, Eric. I'll, I'll I'll wait my turn. I've talked too much. Go ahead, Nate. Please. Oh, I, I was just gonna ask then. Um, so, so the last thing that you mentioned, so, so turning salvation into, um, you have to believe all the right things that becomes a sort of legalism, but doesn't our salvation flow from, from belief and, and from what we believe about Christ's salvation, uh, I, or I guess where, where does salvation flow from then in, in your mind, Jacob? I don't, I don't think that that's what faith means. I, so we faith isn't just logical assent. Mm -hmm. um, 
faith isn't just a declaration of certain facts that we or certain opinions. Um, faith is a posture. Um, faith is a lived posture. So I, I would say, it, and I would say faith is a lived posture of, uh, of union or allegiance with someone. And I don't think that you can be allegiant to Christ and also be disobedient uh, continually. Like, I think that... Um, I, I don't think disobedience will flow from faith. Maybe that's a good way of saying it. So, um, so I think there's an, like a, a crucial aspect. Um, like Bonhoeffer in the beginning of Cost of Discipleship says something like, um, it is, it's oftentimes that we say that you can't truly obey unless you believe. Um, but then he says also that the opposite is true. Only those who are obedient believe, right? You can't say, well, I believe, but I'm not going to obey, right? Um, and I would say, so I would say to, to divorce faith and obedience is to be, um, is to be unfaithful. It's, 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 a, it's an oxymoron. There is no disobedient faith. Um, so I think that's the key, um, is where one believes, does one obey? And I, and then if I'm to look at the way that the scriptures talk about our relationship to um, Christ, I would say the the crucial identifier is the word Lord. Um, and now it just so happens that that same word is the word that's used of the God of Israel. Um, but I'm more concerned about His status over you than I am His status within Himself and to creation that we will never encounter or um yeah i i would or like the you know the 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 ins and outs of like how he relates to time and how he relates to you know uh like whether or not he's omnipotent and omniscient and all these all these like you know different words i which i agree i believe in all those i just i don't think that that's the crucial matter i think the crucial matter is do you do you live in trust in the person of jesus christ or do you not live in the trust in the person of Jesus Christ? And like, like you both said, uh, I think this was Eric that said it mostly though. Like, if you start saying Jesus Christ isn't God, then it tells me that you are taking a a, a very specific stance on what the scriptures say. And if you're if you're taking that specific of a stance, then I I'm I don't know. I would start to wonder what Christ do you mean? Like that would be my next question. Is like if you're if you're saying Jesus Christ is not God, then it does beg the question. Like what Jesus are you reading? Because I, you know, the one that I read, it's pretty freaking clear that that he's God. Um but I just don't think like I'm trying to put weight on you know, cuz I think the question is is how much do you weight the importance of that statement? And I would say I weighed it not as heavily as someone's obedience to Christ. Yeah, I I don't want to downplay the importance of obedience, but I I'm I'm worried that there's kind of a trivialization of orthodoxy as well. Um, that being that I'm I'm concerned that we I think I hear your heart, Jacob, and that we want to keep. Um, and we want to keep the objectivity of one's salvation in the hands of God. 
rather than of our of ourselves because we're fallible creatures um and in one mm-hmm. sense i can agree with that but at the, in a, in another way as well i i i think i still hold to what i say because i think we do if if the idea is being obedient to christ he says if you love me obey my commands um and he also speaks of my sheep hear my voice as well which i would take to mean uh his his words his actual teachings and words it's clear to me that he teaches himself that he is god he reveals himself to his people that he is god and so part of obedience um is obeying his his actual words and his revelation of himself and what i just uh, forgive me if i'm just misinterpreting you or hearing you wrong jacob but I don't want to push the boundary so far out there that we're just throwing our hands up in the air and saying, well, we can't know for sure whether or not anybody is saved. Um, and the we're just kind of hoping because this person seems like they're being obedient over here and man, look how they really like God. Um, therefore, yeah, they could be saved. Um, and it just seems to be in opposition with with the book of first john as well because i think there is boundaries and markers by which we can see whether or not um somebody is truly in the faith or not um and first john 2 in in particular i was reading um where john says and he says in verse 19 they went out from us but they were not of us for if they had been of us they would have continued with us and he goes on in verse 20 to say, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you have all knowledge. So I think there, there's a, mm-hmm. um, I think there's an intense uh, union of, as you're saying, both faith and obedience. Um, but when we're denying an essential of the faith, um, like I said, I want to be clear, like as I said before, I think there can be room for error that I think that's a part of the Christian minister's duty to inform uh, believers to build to build them up in the faith to uh, preach and teach the word. Um, so there there is room in some sense, um, but most it seems as though most like Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses <laughs> they know what they're saying. They're they are saying Jesus is not God actively and denying that certain function outrightly um and just saying because my obedience and i've made christ lord in some sense uh means i'm saved i i i take issue with that so uh forgive me if i misunderstood you anyway but i yeah no i i think you got it i i would just say and and like to, to to clarify i am a pastor and if one of my kids was saying Jesus isn't divine, I would very much push back yeah. on them, obviously. Um, I think the key for me is that... Yeah, that... Um, maybe maybe it's this. It's that if, if I can be forgiven of a lifelong sin of mine, but I can't be forgiven of a lifelong misunderstanding of who the Trinity is, or even a, or a, even a dogmatically held, um, you know, like, error. 
then I think we've misunderstood something, right? Like if if I if I can be if I can struggle with um, stealing for my whole life and be forgiven ultimately, yeah. but I can't be forgiven of believing something off about the Trinity, then I think that just doesn't I don't know that doesn't ring true to me at I, all. I think we're um, in step. I think I'm with you in some sense at least. Ste- so like stealing can, and belief in should the, I say can I say it's wrong can you say what's wrong uh, like can I say it's wrong to believe that God or that Jesus Christ is is not God yes I will say yeah. it's wrong I I, yes. I would I think I would it's say wrong. an individual is wrong but can you be forgiven oh yeah I'm not saying Certainly. you can't be forgiven that's not what I'm saying uh, I, what I am saying is one who outwardly denies the divinity of Christ does not know Christ and i'm i'm concerned about the yeah i can yeah, say that the, i'm concerned about the gospel being the power unto salvation being applied to you if because yeah the, like i said i want to leave room for folks who are sincere um who may have a genuine faith but as we both keep using this language misunderstand and there, I think there yeah. can be room for correction. And if that person, I will say furthermore, if that person is truly indwelt by the Holy Spirit, meaning they have the Holy Spirit in them, God does mm-hmm. not contradict himself. God will, as that truth is being revealed to that person, they will come to accept that reality, that Christ is God. Mm-hmm. Um so yes, I, I hear your heart. I do want to be charitable to people and minister to them and teach them the word and bring mm-hmm. them up in the word. But I don't want to mm-hmm. I don't want to just throw the divinity of Christ into the uh, garbage bin, not the garbage bin, into the bin of metaphysics and then treat it as if it's something outside of the scripture that's not manifestly evident within it. And we we can just yeah. deny it because it's just metaphysics. Um, yeah, I think this is maybe this is the crucial bit is that God is a what and a who necessarily, and so the fa- like the 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 God when we talk about God, what we mean, we don't mean just some like something that's not human. Or that's just uncreated like that's not what we're talking about we're talking about the god of israel because there's only one god um so when we talk about god we we necessarily mean a who and so if jesus is if jesus's divinity is rejected in that sense um then i yeah there's the if it's rejected in the sense that that the god of israel is not seen as jesus christ uh, as incarnating in Jesus Christ, then I think you have a huge problem because it's it's the because the God of Israel is a person, right? It, he's he is he is a person, right? So to say that there's a disjunction between G- Jesus Christ of Nazareth and the and the he um, the great he of of Israel is I, I think a huge problem. Now, if you then if you want to say like um, maybe how would I say this? If your question is around the whatness, right? Like, well, Jesus was a human. Obviously, the God of Israel was was powerful with him. Jesus was a human, though, and like, you know, um, 
Like, basically, the Aryan position, that he was a tool used by God. Like, I could see that more as, like, okay, I, they, they are, they're getting the he-ness, they're getting the personality, right? Um, they're, they're mis- they're, they are having a misstep in their metaphysics, I would say. But, like, I don't think Arius was damned because of his, his, um, his statements. I think he genuinely thought that's what, that's what the scriptures were pointing to. Um... No, I disagree. I'd with have them. to. I'd have but to like, read more I don't areas. think that. I and I think I would probably depart from you there as somebody who, who understands, because the question to me it, it's it's a black and white question in my opinion, and I I don't think the use of stealing is completely analogous to, is Jesus or God? The question is, is he God? The answer is yes or no. And I think Arius, in particular, had active knowledge of the scripter, scriptures and in and of himself said, no, he is not. This is a created being. And that's a big problem for me. And so was Arius damned? Mm-hmm. I would probably lean towards yes uh, for that reason. Mm. And where the question of stealing is more like, okay, well why did this person steal? You know, like were they – the classic example, was it a mother stealing – eggs for her children from the store because if she didn't get it to them they were going to die from starvation tomorrow and then you start to get into moral gray area and i think there's gray area in that question um and we could we could debate that some other time but the point being uh i don't think the question of whether or not jesus is god is yes or no stronger to me than it is like you know should somebody steal and which i would say is 99.99999% no, and then there's also times where there could be moral gray area. Yeah, I I think, I think I see more gray area in the, in in the question of um, Jesus's divinity, as as far as the motivations for for doing so. Um, Yeah, I wouldn't say it's like a black or white check the box if you believe and then that's like straight to heaven or straight you know or or at least move on to the next question um or if you can't check the box it's straight to hell uh, yeah I, I can't i can't go that far yeah uh, perhaps i didn't phrase that greatly i i do still want to be sensitive to as we keep saying misunderstandings and uh but I, I'm just I, I'm very as you can tell I'm very firm on the divinity of Christ and I'm very skeptical of individuals who are going to actively deny it such as Arius um, and again I'd have yeah. to read Arius again it's been a little while since I've read him but in my understanding it's a it's a hard no and he he has he had sufficient capability to uh correct that that understanding and so i i don't know that it I, that yeah. is not very morally gray in my opinion and just to be clear really fast i also am very big on the divinity <laughs> of christ uh i read carl bart and bart is like the biggest he basically says that god can only be jesus christ yeah. like that jesus is the full revelation of god that even even jesus's human life is like a revelation of who god is to us so i'm big on jesus christ being god i just think that it's also not necessarily salvation a salvation category 
Um, but then again, I'm, you know, I'm pretty open to God doing what he's going to do as far as salvation. So I have a very, I know that I'm kind of out there with my understanding of salvation. I'm, I do believe you're saved by faith. I get, I, I believe that God gets to define that, not me. So, yeah. I do. I agree. T- Nate, you've been quiet I agree too. I, I just think that there's, this is probably where your Bartian understanding of things separates you and I, and that's probably, that might be a little bit what's coming into it is I think we can understand those things in an objective sense, I guess. So, um, yes, Nate. Um, yeah, I've just been really enjoying this conversation between you two. Um, for me, the, the divinity of Christ, the, the question of it has meaning because it ultimately plays into the question of salvation and the understanding of salvation. Um, Jacob, I would agree with you that I think salvation is uh, from God. It's not something that we can, that, that we make or, you know, salvation isn't um, a parameter that, or it doesn't have parameters that we make. But I also think that we we have to be able to understand it, at least in some part, uh, in order to know for ourselves, and then to also push others towards salvation, because we, we are to make disciples, and ultimately, that's a part of our purpose, is to spread the gospel, um, to, to uh, be a part of God's redemptive mission to his people, um, which is salvation, in a way, you know, we get to be a part of that mission of God. So I, I think that there's a lot more that we could talk about. Um, I know that we're at about an hour and 15 ish hour and 20. Uh, so maybe we should save this for our second episode. Um, but really great conversation. Mm -hmm. I just really enjoyed listening uh, to you two kind of go back and forth on that. Um, so I just want to thank you guys for, for diving into that. It's not, it's not an easy topic. It's kind of one that definitions are absolutely necessary and and the language that we use is crucial uh so thank you both for stepping into that conversation uh with grace and and love for one another um and i guess i'll just wrap us up and yeah go ahead i'd be curious i'd be curious just i just to be more clear i guess you said like is the divinity in your eyes is the divinity of christ I, I think you kind of said it. I just want to clarify maybe a little bit. Is the divinity of Christ necessary, unnecessary belief among a believer to be saved? Like, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think I'd have to parse it out more because, like I mentioned, th- this question ties in for me with the question of salvation and what is necessary for salvation. I guess, I guess I'd have to define that first and then and then come back to divinity of Christ because if we believe that, it, like, I don't know, just to put it, uh, just to wrap up, like, the idea of Christian salvation, you know, salvation comes from, uh, from faith in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, that his sacrifice was enough to right the, the wrongs of all humanity, enough to put us back into right relationship with God. Um, I guess the question then is, does Jesus need to be God in order to accomplish that? Or can he be human and, you know, or can he be, um, see, he, here's where language comes into play a lot, you know, cause I, I don't, I don't know. I just want to be careful with what I say because if, yeah, it, it's a tough question. One that I would have to parse out more and more, but, but the, Fair enough. the, uh, the weight of it 
comes down to salvation for me. Like it's it's less about like, oh yeah, Jesus can be God or he cannot be, you know, and it's just like it doesn't matter. I think for me it does matter, but it matters because of salvation and it it, it matters in that realm. Does that make sense? I think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We we All can right. parse that out more. I I do want to wrap up this episode just cuz we're moving on, but yeah. Or just yeah. cuz we're we're kind of <laughs> pretty far along, but if you uh join us for this long, uh, I, I hope that you'll join us in the next episode as well, uh, where we're going to continue this conversation on the Athanasian Creed, uh, and we're probably going to continue talking about the Trinity and of the person of Christ. And uh, so we thank you all for joining. Thank my co-host for uh, diving into this conversation. And uh, yeah, thank you all again. May Christ be exalted.